Well, good morning. On this Tuesday in the 33rd week, we have the great privilege this morning. We hear from two of the great gospel writers, John, who was one of our Lord's inner circle along with Peter and James and walked with him for three years, laid his head actually on the chest of our Lord. We have that depicted here, figure of the Last Supper. And he's writing to us now in his later years. He knew Christ when he was in his early 20s in his earthly ministry. And now John is probably in his 90s. He's had 70 years of reflection on this amazing encounter with our Lord. And he has this series of dreams which are then given to us in this book of Revelation. And Revelation itself is such a challenging manuscript to engage. Its it's visuals, its imagery is, is so beautiful, but it's sometimes beyond our ability to really understand. But today, what we hear from is he has, early in this book, he has a vision, a series of visions, and the Lord comes to him and tells him to write these letters. And these letters are to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, Thracia, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, the seven churches of Asia, Asia being at that time the now modern-day country of Turkey. It was known as Asia Minor under the Roman government. And so he has this particular letter he's, we're hearing from today, and today his letter is to Sardis and to Laodicea, Laodicea we're hearing from. And to the angel of the Lord, or to the angel of the church in Sardis, write this. And he gives, their, gives then John a series of descriptions to write, and he says, be watchful and strengthen what is left, which is going to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Meaning, John, you have quite a bit of work to do before your natural life ends. There's work for you to be doing, and it's to continue to proclaim the gospel truth. The victor will be dressed in white, we heard him write, and I will never erase his name from the book of life. That's encouraging for all of us, isn't it? That Born into the faith, our our baptismal promise and baptismal commission is to carry forth the faith and wear those garments of white into our eternal life. Whoever has ears ought to hear what the Spirit, Spirit says to the churches, we're told. And then in his letter to Laodicea, he, he then focuses on this conflict of materiality and wealth versus walking in the faith. It doesn't mean that the, the building up of a, of a home and the security of material things is negative. It's not. It's when it becomes the focus where it becomes disordered. And so he's telling those them, for, I, for you say, he tells to the church in Laodicea, For you say, I am rich and affluent and have no need of anything. And by the way, at this time, Laodicea would be like, perhaps a good good example would be a a retirement community in Florida or perhaps uh, San Jose, where there's considerable concentration of wealth. That's the the city that John is writing to, Laodicea. It had become, in fact, it was a retirement community, but it, it had considerable wealth there and had for decades. For those living there, you say, I am rich and affluent and have no need of anything, yet do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may may be rich and white garments to put on so that your shameful nakedness may not be exposed and by ointment to smear on your eyes so that you may see. To those whom I love, he tells us, I reprove and chastise. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. And then these beautiful words we can reflect on because it's true for all of us daily as we arise in the evening, as we retire. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will enter his house 
and dine with him, and he with me. That's the constancy of prayer, isn't it? As we're banging on the door, he on our hearts, the door of our hearts, and we should be banging on the door of heaven in a, in a bilateral movement where we are attempting to connect with one another. He's constantly in pursuit of us. He came for us. Our responsibility is to turn and seek him by opening that door and allowing him to enter into our hearts. We hear today also from the gospel writer Luke, and beautifully so, we're here in the 19th chapter. Yesterday we heard on Monday, we hear the story in Jericho of the blind man, Bartimaeus, who's seeking to be healed from his blindness. And you heard yesterday, as we celebrated Mass joyfully with our young ones, Bartimaeus, meaning son of light, Timaeus, meaning light, bar, the Hebrew prefix, prefix meaning son of light. Here the blind man is the son of light. He's on the way to Jericho, and today our Lord has arrived in Jericho. And as he's progressing through the town, there's again a stir. He's of some notoriety at this point because it's in the third year of his public ministry. People are stirring and calling out, and we encounter Zacchaeus, who must be a man of relatively short stature, because Luke, Luke the ever-detailed man, gives us two points of note. He says, number one, Zacchaeus was short. He could not see the Lord because he was short in stature. We're told that by Luke. Then he tells us in response to being so short in stature, Zacchaeus takes the immediate step of climbing a sycamore tree. So just a point of note, this is this this kind of detail in scripture I find so fascinating with Luke in particular, the fat guy. You've heard me say that before. Luke's the fat guy, the fact checker. So Jericho is not that far from Jerusalem. And Luke is a second-generation Christian. He, he didn't know Christ in his earthly ministry. Luke came into the faith after Christ has risen and ascended. We don't know who baptized Luke. What we do know is Luke is very deep in his faith. And so Luke tells us, because Luke's gospel, as we remember, is a letter to a friend. It's a letter to a friend, Theophilus. And in writing the letter, Luke begins his gospel, this third gospel, he begins it with telling his friend, Theophilus, I've gone back and checked all these facts, meaning I've gone and spoken to these people, I've interviewed with them, I've spent time with Paul, I've spent time with Peter and John, I know these people, i spent time with Mary. This is the Luke we're speaking of. So Luke tells us that Zacchaeus, short in stature, can't see our Lord passing by because of the crowd, so he tells us, so he ran and climbed a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus. Now why is that important? Theologically, I don't know. I don't know. I can tell you why oaks are important in Scripture. I can tell you why mustard seeds are important in Scripture. Sycamore trees, I don't know. I haven't discovered why it's important. Here's what I love to imagine. This is my imagination. Luke probably went to Jericho, because it's not that far. It's half a day's walk. It's conceivable. This is my speculation. This is not the teaching of the church. This is Father John's speculation. It's quite conceivable that Luke met Zacchaeus and said, hey, where did that happen? And Zacchaeus, in his joy, because he has this encounter with the Lord in his home, that's the continuation of this narrative today, and Zacchaeus may have walked along the street there in Jericho and said, it was about here, it's about here where the Lord walked by and I scrambled up that tree, and there's Luke, the fat guy, oh, that's a sycamore tree. And he notes that, and he tells us that in the gospel. Our Lord's teaching in the gospels is so accessible when we allow our mind to see the writer. We call that the study, the use of exegesis, the study of the word in a very particular way. 
And again, it's my speculation that Luke asked Zacchaeus. I don't know that. My speculation, but why not? It sounds pretty beautiful to think about the detail because the detail that follows is this, is that Zacchaeus comes down from the tree because our Lord said so. And our Lord says to him, come down quickly for today I must stay at your house. Boy, our Lord says that to every day, to us. Today, I must stay at your house. We can either open the door or shut the door. Well, Zacchaeus opens the door. But when this happens, when they saw this, Luke tells us, they, the people around there, begin to grumble, saying he's gone to stay at the house of a sinner. Well, if we invite the Lord into our house, that's true as well, isn't it? He's come to stay at the house of a sinner. Amen that he's come to stay at the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I shall give to the poor. And if I have extorted anything, because he was, by the way, a tax collector, if I have extorted anything from anyone, I shall repay it four times over. And Jesus then said, Luke records this detail, Jesus then said, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a descendant of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. Aren't those the beautiful words from John as well? I will lose none of him. I will lose none of them that the Father has given me. I will lose none of them that the Father has given me. So today in Revelation, in John's beautiful letter to the church at Laodicea, he's saying, look, those of you who are so confident in your materiality and your possessions and your assumed security and wealth, that's actually wretchedness. You just can't see it. You need to put a solve on your eyes in order to see the truth of that misery. And today in the story from Zacchaeus, we have this man of some note, he's a tax collector, he's probably fairly well-to-do. For some reason, the Lord comes to him in Jericho, come down from that tree, I need to be at your house. The Lord says that to us. Zacchaeus welcomes him in and then con- convinced of our Lord's truth, convinced of our Lord's gospel life, Zacchaeus agrees to give away half of his worldly possessions. On this day, we celebrate Elizabeth of Hungary, who did more than that. She did more than, more than Zacchaeus. We like to say she doubled down. She doubled down on Zacchaeus. Elizabeth, at the age of four, she was born in 1207 to Prince Andrew of Hungary. And at the age of four, she was set aside for marriage into a royal family. That was very common in, in this time, in the 12th, 13th, 14th century. It was very common. Selected marriages continue to this day, so she had been designated for royal marriage. And at the age of 14, 10 years later, she did marry. She married Louis IV of Thuringia, which is today would be Eastern Germany, kind of Western Hungary border area. And he was good to her. Uh, He himself was not particularly devout, much like Margaret of Scotland and Malcolm III yesterday. Yet again, it's the woman who leads the husband to faith. And, and Elizabeth of Hungary is a very, very sincere young girl, 14. Between the ages of 14 and 20, she and Louis have three children. And right before the birth of her third daughter, third child, who's a daughter, uh, he dies. He had gone off to fight in the Crusades, and he uh, caught an epidemic. He caught a plague and he came home and he died just before the birth of their third daughter. So here she is, 20 years of age, three young children. She's the princess. She's very wealthy. Louis IV had four castle estates in that particular region, and she immediately converts two of them into hospitals. 
And then she goes about very assertively and very trustingly in our Lord and begins to give away all of her wealth, all of it. In fact, she dons the robe of Franciscan. She is the patron of the Franciscan Oblates. I, I think uh, our dear sister is one. Uh, but she, begin, she gives away all of her wealth. She dons the robe of a Franciscan oblate and truly lives an austere life of poverty. Now, she provided for her children. She took care of her children and made sure they were secure and well provided for, but she herself eschewed all manifestations of wealth. She gave away and sold a lot of the, the royal treasury. Uh, she, she, she truly bankrupted herself in order to advance the cause of faith most especially for those most desperate and poor, uh, turning castles into hospitals and orphanages, uh, giving all of her material wealth for the good. She herself would care, personally care, for the most wretched of those brought into these hospitals, those with leprosy and other very difficult illnesses. She would bind their wounds and wash their feet and care for them. She was so, so profound in her in her living out of the faith. It's said that when she would walk the streets, this is in the city of now Marburg, where the main castle was in Marburg. When she would walk the streets of Marburg, people would look on her and said, and it's said that her eyes glowed. She was so joyful in her life. Her eyes glowed with this brightness. And the poor saw that in her, saw the love of Christ emanating from her in a very, very profound and, and very real way. So as we go forward in our day, let's remind ourselves where our true treasury lies. It is the gold of heaven, not the gold of this earth. Our Lord is constantly banging on our doors, asking to be let in. It's our privilege to do so each day, to let him in. Let him in in the morning to guide our day. Let him in at the night to guide you through the night in your subconscious thinking. And like Elizabeth of Hungary, let us focus ourselves on the needs of those around us. St. Elizabeth of Hungary, pray for us.